they might say you have things like sewer backup. That's a big word, an important coverage to have. Always make sure you have it. Um, a sewer backup claim might, you know, they might have coverage, but it might be limited to something like only ten or twenty thousand dollars of coverage. This episode of the CE Drive podcast is brought to you by Business Career College. Business Career College is a leading provider of financial services education, including the life insurance licensing program, the entire set of courses leading to the CFP certification, which is actually where I spend most of my time teaching and where I've met many of the participants in these podcasts. We also provide continuing education credits, live classroom and webinar instruction in support of the elder planning counselor designation, and a few other odds and ends in support of folks in the financial services industry. You can find the full catalog of course offerings at www.businesscareercollege.com. Hi, and welcome to the final episode for this season of the CE Drive podcast. Uh, We'll have a new season starting September 1st. This episode is good for continuing education credits in British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario. Good for advocacy credits, good for FP Canada credits, and it'd be good for a professional development credit with IROC as well. Uh, Some of you might have noticed that the MFDA will have its continuing education credit regime online uh, by the 1st of December. And our intention is to get courses approved for MFDA credits as well. I'm not sure yet exactly what is going to be good credits or bad credits for them, but our intention is to have the podcast provide enough credits for that to be useful. Okay, our audio for the first six or so minutes here on this one is pretty choppy. Um, Chad and I had to switch audio connections, so we'll see what... uh, our editor, Joe, is able to uh, recover out of this. But yeah, it's uh, a little rough for the first little while. I apologize for that. I should have got Chad to move earlier. The color for today's episode is brown. The color for today's episode is brown. Okay, let's hear what uh, Chad has to say. You'll hear he knows his property and casualty insurance and his financial planning both very well. And that's a real asset here. This gave me a chance to focus on the things I wanted to look at, which is what do you as the financial planner need to be able to tell your clients about their property and casualty insurance coverage. And also, you'll hear Chad talk about regular policy reviews as an example of something that you could look for in your property and casualty centers of influence. All right, I'm here today with Chad McKenzie. Chad is going to be our first, uh, I, I know your multiple, multiple licenses you carry. Chad, you want to talk us through uh, sort of everything that makes up your uh, your business? Yeah, no, certainly. Um, so maybe what I'll do is give you, if you're good with it, a brief overview of um, so I own an insurance agency, or we like to call it a firm, McKenzie Insurance Group. They were hired to service and, and settle and manage the, uh, the clientele. Working along with cooperators, we handle uh, general insurance, so home, auto, commercial, uh, as well as travel benefits, and we get into which is part of life insurance and, and, and S. 
Um, and then uh, we also have investments that we do with, with safe funds as well as mutual funds, which is through the MFDA. So licensed through the MFDA for mutual funds uh, can be the life ANS licenses, and then I also have the general licenses as well. Perfect. And uh, just yesterday, you got the news that you passed your uh, CFP exam, so it won't be long until you're carrying the CFP designation. Absolutely. I was, uh, was really excited. Yeah, two months of waiting, and um, it was totally worth it. It was just such a great feeling. Yeah, great news. Congratulations on that. So I'm interested in this uh, multi-line uh, sort of capacity, you know, really like everything under the sun. So how much of that do you handle and how much of that gets dealt with by specialists within your office? Yeah, so um, I primarily now focus my time on financial services. So working with clients on their financial goals, both short-term and long-term, and then doing some of the life insurance for those individuals and their actual investments, mutual funds or segregated funds. Uh, my team members, we have uh, different people. There's eight of us in total, specialists that, that just do commercial insurance. Uh, we have some team members that just do home and auto insurance. And some that also uh, handle or assist with uh, investments, but they primarily just do the stake funds and life insurance. Uh, great. And how did you get started into this? You said you bought your block of business. Did you get started at cooperators or did you start somewhere else? What's your uh, background here? Yeah, so it's interesting. I, um, I, it all started. I, I was 20 years old, wanted to go to university, and hockey coach uh, played junior hockey. And he uh, just a great guy. It was everyone liked him. He was just really passionate about his job. He was actually an insurance broker, and I always had looked up to him. And he had said, "You know, you'd be great in insurance. You know what? You should check out the insurance program at the university." So. Uh, in spite of my, my dad, I always joke because uh, he, he doesn't really fan insurance. It's not a fun conversation around the kitchen table. But I went into uh, the insurance program, which essentially was a two-year program. We accelerated over 15 months. Or one year before, I went where initially my, my calling, I wanted, I believe, was uh, to be a claims investor. So um, I actually, uh, that's where I moved with cooperators. So uh, that would be back in 2006. I made the move and began working with cooperators. And um, right away, I was uh, I put in with what's called a storm team. So they had their first ever, I think it was a cat team that responded to major events that took place across Western Canada. Um, you know, with the roads and flooding events, wildfires. Um, those were the types of events that we would get called in for. We'd assemble, we'd get into the area, help the clients to you know, work with figuring out what's needed to be done in their homes and get them verify their covers and look at that, that ball rolling on repairs. And I did that for uh, three years and uh, it was an incredible, incredible time. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I was really, really doing what I, I loved, but I had a little boy at home and of course during storm season, they're gone you know, for 12 days and home for two. So it got to a point where it was just a little too much. And, what I noticed, though, and what I loved was, you know, going into these communities and seeing the amount of devastation, devastation that would be there, and being able to know that we were able to help them to rebuild, and being, you know, the person who's actually helping get their lives back in order. And I really, really just love that process and had a lot of passion for it. But what I realized is that I really want to be the person who is helping ensure that they have the right coverage because I'd seen what happens when people didn't have the right coverage versus when they did. And 
properly insured. And I really wanted to eventually own my own insurance agency with Bob Harrison. By going in all those communities, I met a lot of the wonderful advisors we have across the country. So, uh, you know, talking to them, picking up, you know, what do you love about your job? And I made the decision pretty, pretty quick. Soon on, I was going to go and try to work my way up to, to own an office. And, uh, with, you know, I have to say, of operators because they really, really promote growth from within and helping people uh, to move up within the organization. So they really help facilitate that process for me. And, uh, I moved over to Sydney Park side back then, um, sales. Um, I moved over there in about 2009. And then um, I, I worked under an agent owner for a couple of years learning the ropes. Because of the background I had, I actually, an office became available where a gentleman was retiring. And um, I've proven that I was able to match you know, that type of, uh, of business and um, essentially bought that book. Rights to it, and um, you know, that was 2009, and ever since, I've been, been owning my office and working with this group of clients. I'm guessing that that storm team experience you really got a good understanding of policy wordings and what gets covered and what doesn't, and how even how people made choices that then translate into claims paid or not paid. Is there anything you can talk about there that's useful? That's a great point, Jason. Um, you know, it's interesting. I really learned not only the policy wordings with our organization, but I started to see what the differences were amongst the different companies. And really, realized, I learned that process that you know, not all policies are the same. And it sounds like, well, yeah, obviously that makes sense. But you know, even simple things like you go in for, uh, for water damage and um, homes that cut with both sewer back and floods both at the same time. Well, most policies wouldn't cover flood, but they might cover a little bit for sewer. Well, some companies would say, well, no, it was actually a flood, so they would just deny the claims. And some companies would say, well, we're, because we can see their signs of a sewer backup as well, we'll give the benefit of the doubt, we'll choose to pay the claim. And really got to see uh, how those differences were from one company to another. And, uh, and then the effects of that have on people's lives because, you know, when you get hit with a major event like this, your home is your, you know, initial asset that you have, it's, it's crippling. And these people were now in a situation where they, if they weren't covered, they had to come up with these funds, you know, and water damage or these losses are huge. And you're talking 30, 50, 100,000 plus. Um, so I just, I, I felt compelled to make sure that at least in my journey, insurance that I was going to be the person who really helped teach people the differences and ensure they understood what they were what they were spending their hard earned money on when you buy insurance policies. So Chad, during your time working in uh, the uh, storm team, you would have had a lot of exposure to of course water damage. And I'm curious to know how that time you would have spent there influences what you and your staff do today in terms of talking to your customers about water damage about flood and groundwater and sewer backup and so forth? Yeah, Jason, that's a great question. Um, when we're working with our clients, we, we really taught our staff um, to make sure to, to be giving our clients education around their insurance policies as a whole, um, not just you know selling a product uh, and giving some basic level coverage. We really want our clients to understand uh, what is in their policy so that you know if they have a loss or a claim, a, there's not going to be a surprise, but also our, you know, our biggest nightmare is if something isn't covered. And that's the one thing I kind of fear the most. So we really take uh, um, a holistic approach when doing so. And 
pulling from the experience I've had in the past, what I have found, particularly with home and commercial insurance policies, is that when, when, when a company says you have water coverage, it's a very general term. Uh, it's important to know water itself is typically represents 40 to you know, 50% of all the claims that get reported. Understand when water damage strikes, it is typically catastrophic. It carries a large uh, financial burden on that family, which is where the insurance is so critically important that it's going to properly respond. And, you know, from my experience in claims, I'd learned that policies are not the same from one provider to another. Um, and it's important that when we're looking at a client, uh, when, I, when I'm on, even if I'm on the financial planning side, sitting with them, looking at their long-term goals, we bring the risk management into play and say, okay, well, let's look at, you know, are your assets properly protected, right? Um, it's then diving deep at their existing coverage and saying, okay, what limitations are there for water? So they might say you have things like sewer backup. That's a big word, an important coverage to have. Always make sure you have it. Um, a sewer backup claim might, you know, they might have coverage, but it might be limited to something like only ten or $20,000 of coverage, which I find is quite popular on some of the, the lower cost policies out there. So it's just important to watch and make sure that you have full limits. And I mean, in a general sense, I, I can't be giving full recommendations to people here, but I would say make sure, of course, that you know, you're, you're carrying as much water coverage as you can and that it matches the type of home or business that you have. Do you think uh, insurers, or I guess, have you seen where insurers have reduced their coverage sort of quietly over the last decade or so? Is this a, a trend or am I imagining things here? Um, it, it's hard to say whether, like, overall, if people, if they've been reducing the coverage. Um, from my experience, which, which really has only been, you know, just over 15 years in insurance. I, I've sewer backup is always something that's usually added onto the policy. Some insurance companies, particularly in the last three to four years, have actually started increasing the coverage and adding things like flood coverage that never used to be a product that you could purchase. Um, it, that that's a wonderful thing to see. Um, there are a few companies that are usually really low cost insurance where. Um, they were notorious in the past for, for, for limiting the coverage to things, you know, like 10 grand, but I, I wouldn't say as a whole that it's been reduced. Um, it, I would say there's some, it's kind of a mix. Some companies have been giving way better coverage. They might cost a bit more, but you're properly insured. And some are kind of sticking to what they've been doing for the last 20 years. I mean, I think most insurers, despite what the wide perception this might be your your dad's concern, but I think most insurers are in the business of paying claims. And I think most people in the business share what you said earlier, that idea, you don't want people who paid premiums and don't get uh, claims paid, right? Well, it's not good for the industry. It's not good for the clients and for business um, shareholders. I mean, it's important that we be there for our customers and and like you alluded to, um, you know, I kind of joke that my family used to give me a hard time because I went into insurance. It was always a joke around the kitchen table. But the reality is the, the employees, the claims adjusters, the companies, they want to do what's best for their customers. Rarely do you ever see some, you know, them going out and trying to exclude or, or deny claims. Now, you mentioned your role today sort of more on the financial services, financial planning side. And I'm I'm curious, I know you're um, active sort of in the industry, you know, others. Do you have a feel for how running a multi-line shop where you have home and auto is a big part of your business for how that's different than somebody who had, let's say, a pure financial planning or wealth management shop? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, you know, so, and I can say too, for me, um, 
initially when you know when you, when you have an office that offers invest investments uh financial planning and uh, insurance all in one there's so many products on the table and areas where you can help your client that it it, it becomes so important to have specialists and, and individuals who kind of you know hyper focus in one area and that was something that was unique for me when we introduced really started looking at providing investments to our customers about six years ago. And, and as I've been working through even my CFP was making sure that I'm, I'm no, no longer a generalist who's kind of dabbling in all the different fields and really making sure that each person in my team is able to, you know, hyper-focus in one area because we need to do that in order to make sure we're giving proper recommendations and stay up to date on the coverage that's available. You know, how is that different from a firm that may offer, uh, you know, one type of product, whether that be, you know, a life and seg fund business, just mutual funds, investments, whatever that may be. Um, I would say that in, in those businesses, not that I've actually worked in one, but where, where I find, you know, they can excel by having maybe access to a few more products that some other providers might not, right? Everybody's on the same page. Usually everybody in those firms are kind of well-versed in, in that line or that product, product, whether that be just mutual funds or ETFs, et cetera. So when I kind of tie that back to, you know, at least for myself, what I've really loved about being able to offer insurance as well as investments under financial planning, I love it because we have the ability here to be able to, to focus on uh, maybe some of those smaller clients that uh, the industry as a whole is not looking at, you know, the people that might have less than $300,000 investable assets. And I say that because, you know, in the industry as a whole, usually everyone's got to find their niche. You got to find what works. You got to make sure that um, you're able to obviously make enough to, to still pay the bills and keep the lights on while still giving the service. But, you know, if we have a client uh, in, in our firm, we focus primarily on upper small business to medium sized businesses and business owners. Well, typically those business owners might have smaller commercial policies that don't bring in a huge amount of premiums. Maybe they're $5,000 a year and the commissions aren't as high. Well, the broker world that only deals with insurance may not necessarily be fighting for that business because they're not the large accounts, right? Then you go on the other side and these individuals might need their financial planning services. Well, they don't have quite enough of investable assets. You know, people may not necessarily want to take them on or they may not get, uh, you know, a high touch point from those advisors. But by for us being able to do it holistically, if we have a specialist in-house who can help them really dive deep on the commercial, help them with their home and auto insurance, and then I'm able to dive deep on the financial planning, because we have all their products in our office and we make a bit of compensation off each one of those, from a holistic perspective, we can give some great advice, great service, while also making enough to keep the lights on and pay the bills. Right, and and make sure that they're really getting uh, the advice and and, uh, and service that they deserve. That's in fact exactly what we were at Cooperators. We had our uh, CGL policy when I was uh, when when I owned Business Career College. Our CGL was through Cooperators, and our premium in first year was just about five thousand dollars. And yeah, I always felt like we had good service. You know, yeah, in person visit, and you know, make sure that we we that the risk was understood and yeah, so forth. So that does speak to that very much. Well, and I'd like to just mention too, Jason, that, you know, as, as all of us um, and people listening to this podcast, of course, you know, uh, the financial planners out there and people who are working towards it, we're always trying to find ways to be better for our customers, um, do things ethically, of course, and, and, you know, find a niche market. And 
you know, the niche is great. If I was going on the, uh, the side of just working in a financial planning firm only, yes, I would probably focus on the larger clientele. I'm not saying there's people that, that don't focus on clients might be smaller, but, you know, personally, my niche might, might gravitate to that area. And that's a great thing. There's people that need some really solid advice and mentorship. Uh, it just happens to be that I, I just happen to love working with small and medium business owners. It's kind of what my family background was. So it works for me. Makes a lot of sense. Now, so you you have this focus and this, from the sounds of it, it's allowed your staff as well to sort of niche down. Can you talk about some of those uh, specializations some of your staff has taken on? Yeah, absolutely. So we have eight staff members in total. Uh, we have two that primarily just work in commercial insurance. Uh, one of them is um, I'd call her more of a, uh, a prospector. She really loves uh, uh, working with clients, bringing in new business. Uh, she built a re- really wonderful client base and referral base. But um, so she really helps work on kind of the growth of the commercial insurance. And then we have another individual who um, works a lot more on on the servicing of those existing clients and doing proper reviews on renewals, making sure that the clients understand their coverage, not just at the beginning, but that they actually get called a year later and that we've actually done a review to keep that going, right? We all know our clients needs change over the years and how important it is to be doing proper reviews. So that same approach that even we would look at on the financial planning side of making sure that clients are getting a proper, whether it's semi-annual or annual review, we incorporate that on the commercial insurance side. And, and you know, we have to make sure all our specialists are working in unison on that because when we do what we call a portfolio review, it's where we're looking at everything at once. We pull in all the different specialists, the commercial persons booked to review the you know, commercial insurance. We've got our home and auto advisor, it might be Nicole or Melissa, who's able to dive deep on the home and auto side with that client. And then we'll book a second call or second meeting where then I'll be going a little more in depth on doing the financial plan review with them. So everybody's hyper-focused in their area. Uh, They understand their products. We do training um, both as a team. We do a lot with both personal development, um, work on our goals as individuals, where we want to be in our careers in the future. And but also diving deep on their own product lines. We can send them for training, uh, pay for that training uh, and have them, you know, and also without having to pull everybody else away from their job by being cross-trained. So for, I think you carry CIP, right? The uh, chartered insurance professional. Do you have others on your team that are working towards that or would, would want that? Yeah, that's a great, uh, great question as well. And yes. Um, so on the commercial insurance side, our advisors are working towards, for CIP, we have, to us, we believe education and, and designations is so important. Um, it, it's it's what we need to make sure we're doing, you know, the right things for our clients. Um, and we also have um, uh, two advisors in our office who handle investments in life insurance that are working towards their CFPs as well. Perfect. Uh, can you give a feel for, I'm just curious now, because uh, you've recently completed the whole CFP program, you've done CIP. How comparable are those two programs? Well, to be fair, I completed my CIP when I was actually done. It was in 2009. So it was quite some time ago. I, I, I don't know what it would be like to do it now because I, I really did a big chunk of that through uh, McEwen University when I took their insurance program. But I, I would say with technology, um, I was for the CFP, I was blown away. Like I was able to, it was so cool for me. I, I love the uh, the online environment where, where there were pre-recorded sessions because you know, when I'm going over something that was important, whether that's, you know, going through CPP in, in, in further detail and looking at 
um, you know, how many year qualifying years and the years you can remove out. And I was able to pause the videos back, go back. And when I thought I maybe had missed something rather than being stuck in a meeting where I felt maybe lost and I was losing the rest of it, I was able to go back and re-listen to it, you know, six or seven times. I loved it. It was, uh, it was just such a great format. And I'm guessing you watch some of it on double speed, which I hear sometimes too. So <laughs> it's funny because I'm talking to you now and uh, you sound much slower to me because I usually listen to it on one and one and a half to two times. <laughs> yeah. it's, I hear that a lot, honestly, Chad, and I get that. I uh, it's, it is, you know, and that ability to pause and stop and all that. Yeah. That's, it's a whole different world of absorbing content, isn't it? I was nervous at first. Uh, I always thought classroom was the way I personally needed to learn and. Uh, I took a leap and it was, uh, I was impressed. It was, it was the way, in fact, I will say just to plug, but you guys actually going through that process was just, just such an, an amazing experience that I now registered. I'm doing my finance degree all virtually as well. So. Oh, wow. That's exciting. eh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm really excited I like about it. that. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Now you obviously get to see both worlds. You get to see the financial planning world and the property and casualty world. But most financial planners, of course, get a pretty cursory look at property and casualty insurance when they're going through the core curriculum. What do you wish that financial planners would talk to their clients about or know, but maybe aren't comfortable talking to their clients about from the property and casualty side? Yes. Um, I think it'd be really important for financial planners to, number one, above all, know that you know not all policies are the same. And and I believe it's important that we as financial planners understand on the on the PNC property and casualty side that for the most part, um, what we're seeing with what we call major weather related events across both the globe and you know here in Canada are increasing dramatically. And Canadians are at a much bigger risk as time goes on for, for things like wildfires. And, you know, we could debate what those causes are, whether it is or it's not global warming. That's not the point. The point is it's increasing dramatically. And you look over the last, you know, even 10 to 20 years, it's massive. So, well, what does that mean for us as financial planners? Well, that means that there's probably a really good chance that insurance premiums for business owners, for homes, for automobiles are going to continue to rise. Um, Auto insurance on its own, uh, we get asked all the time, why are rates going up? And you look at, you know, to repair a, a 2012 Ford F-150 bumper, you know, might have been two grand. And today with the sensors and the AI built into it, it's 45000 you know, $5,000. Well, that comes out of the pool of insurance funds. So these things are going up um, consistently, and that's what we've been seeing. And as a result, clients, um, you know, when we look at the debt loads, the average Canadians are carrying and it's scary. Um, and I think we really need to be aware of it and build, build that in our plans that it's not going to go up by the average inflation rates, maybe of 2%, it's going to be up much higher. And then we'll, what can clients do to reduce that cost? Really, the only thing you can do other than shop around, but it's going to go up everywhere. The only thing you can do is either increase your deductibles, which means you're on for a bigger portion of that loss. That's a higher risk right? You need to now plan for that in your emergency funds, or you have to remove some coverage off your policy, which now exposes you. So we, we need to know where that's going to be coming from. And we know that's a huge risk for Canadians, certainly in the coming years. And we as financial planners need to at least at a base level, help them understand that and know that they really need to, to plan those emergency funds and plan for, for costs going up. I mean, I think about this with my own car. I drive a 
car almost 10 years old now and maybe worth 10 or eleven thousand dollars i still have collision coverage on it through cooperators actually but you know i think about really almost anything short of a total loss claim i actually probably wouldn't claim right it's uh, it's just it's expensive to repair now and what do you do it's mm-hmm. yeah I sat in a car last week that had a crack in the windshield and I asked the owner of the car, he said, yeah, $6,000 to replace the windscreen. Well, and that's, that's another point, you know, I, when you look at coverages is um, making sure that as a financial planner that we have, um, you know, people within our network that, that really understands both the products, but not just that it's depending on what your niche market is. If I'm a planner that's targeting and I'm working with really high net worth clients, well, those high network clients also now have typically are going to have more expensive uh, pieces of property, maybe collectibles, jewelry, and vehicles. Well, a standardized insurance policy is probably not going to be sufficient to properly protect them. So, and, you know, high net worth individuals typically also carry high levels of debt as well. So it's important that you have somebody that also focuses on the niche market that you're working with. Uh, what about sports equipment, Chad? That's why I know, uh, like a buddy of mine, has twenty five thousand dollars worth of bikes hanging in his garage. Oh, totally. I mean, every company's limitations are different, but um, you know, when you're talking bicycles, um, there's limitations for that. There's one of the questions I think you're going to ask. A few tips that I have on some of those products. I'll save that for there because I have a few good points. Perfect. Yeah, I'll get to that. Um, anything else that I, I like the emphasis on the emergency fund? Obviously, you know the the idea that you have greater risks on that front and you can't just say, well, I've got insurance, so I don't need to worry about it. I think that's a good message to take home. So yeah, what about then the financial planner helping out with any other areas, anything we should be thinking about on the homeowner side, for example? Well, I mean, first and foremost, if the planner does not have um, a general license, of course, it's, it's making sure that they, the client is actually getting their policies reviewed on a regular basis. So us as planners, you know, when we're doing our reviews, whether that be quarterly, semi-annual or annually, really making sure that that's been asked, have you reviewed your existing insurance with your, your insurance specialist? Um, and actually sat down and gone through the policy, what's changed, maybe you've purchased more items and more belongings, maybe you're running a business out of your home, you know, um, COVID, you look at COVID and, and the ability to work from home or people who have made, you know, started little startup businesses, lots of stuff are going, is going on. And, and we're usually the first person that they're talking to, uh, you know, we're kind of the top there. And I like to think of it as us being the general practitioner and our jobs to try to help look at their financial health and to say, well, what specialists then do we need to bring in? And at least having that conversation and putting it on the checklist that we might be using of items to discuss and just really pushing them to talk with their, you know, their advisor on that. I like this idea, Chad, of have you had the annual review? Because I don't want to be reviewing policy wordings. I know nothing about property and casualty insurance. I don't have any business. Like, again, I, I, I can read and see what's on the paper, but it does not help, right? It's uh, And we're not allowed. You have to have a license. Yeah, it's no different than talking life insurance policies without a life license. Yeah. You just can't do it. That's it. That's a that's a great point. Um, and yeah, you talked about people starting to have more and more home-based businesses. Can you give an idea about what the threshold is? Where should the financial planner be saying, yeah, you have to go talk to your uh, home insurance uh, professional about your home-based business? What's the cutoff there? 
Yeah, simply put, um, simply put, because every insurance company has such different rules. Um, and we're in a hard market with insurance, meaning that you know claims costs have been dramatically on the rise. Um, you know, interest rates are low, so insurance companies aren't getting the uh, you know making the money on the investment side. So they're getting very strict on the things that they'll give insurance to, and that also means they're getting very picky on what they're going to pay out on for claims. So you know, um, in a soft market, it's not as bad. They'll pay more claims than maybe normal, even if they shouldn't pay those claims or or um, but, but I think the thing is, first and foremost, as financial planners without a general license, we do not have the authority to be determining whether they should or shouldn't be really talking to their advisor about it. At the end of the day, it, sh- it should be included that you need to make sure you've reviewed your insurance policy if anything's changed from last year uh, and, and just go through it with your advisor. Yeah, I guess what I'm thinking here is, you know, like work from home now, right? So somebody who is working from home in an office sort of, you know, 40 hours a week, is that, should they be talking to their insurance professional about that? Yeah, great question. Um, Okay, I see where you're going. Um, No, if if, if you're actually running a business, so if you're just an employee who's at home and you're working from home, there's no issues with that. Um, The issue is if now clients or other people are coming onto the premises or if you are you're making and selling products from your from your home, those typically tend to be the big issues. So they'll always ask: um, Is there clients coming on the premises, and are you selling, you know, any type of product? And if the answer is yes to any of those questions, as the financial advisor or financial planner, sir, we need to say, okay, you need to go talk to your insurance company, you know. And actually, I would say another really great one would be there's a number of people who've taken on. Um, side gigs, uh, whether that be skip the dishes, Uber eats, Uber drivers, pizza delivery. Um, that's a huge one because most people don't realize the minute you do that, your insurance, your auto insurance, the standard SPF one auto insurance policy excludes that. So even if you have a claim, um, that may not necessarily be related, you can certainly be in a bad situation. Um, based on just the fact that you're, you're, you're bringing in that extra income from that type of work. So, you know, if those types of things change, the use of your vehicle becomes business in any way, shape or form, got to notify your insurance company. Yeah. And of course you have the double whammy there because you would have the loss of that side gig income and you have to deal with the replacement of the vehicle or some, something around damage to the vehicle. And lastly, I'd say too, yeah, Jason, totally. Because you also look if you're a financial, you know, planner, and we're working with, um, you know, maybe clients that are getting closer to retirement. Well, they probably have teenage kids at home. Teenage kids may now using those vehicles want a side job, deliver pizza, for example. Or, well, that's really big because you know that you know not only are they newer drivers, they're typically going to be slightly higher risk. But now, if something does happen, that entire cost of that claim might end up falling back on the owner or the parents. And man, talk about impacting the financial plan. Uh, that could really throw you off uh, of the retirement goals. I know the teenage kids thing and auto insurance is sort of problematic in general, right? Like you can't put your head in the sound, sand around this. You have to deal with the real risks here, right? This is Absolutely. Um, because I don't know, can you go through this a little bit, Chad, like this idea of can your teenage kids steal your car or whatever? Is this something you're comfortable uh, delving into? Uh, we've certainly seen claims like that. Um, I, it'd be hard for me really to comment on how it plays out. Um, I, I haven't, I don't handle the claim side, but I mean, bottom line is if you have a driver in your home, 
So if you have a person that lives in your home, teenager or not, relative or not, if they live in your home and they have a valid driver's license, your insurance company needs to know about it, or you could have big issues in a claim. Um, and the other thing is, I've heard that where, you know, the, well, my child steal, stole, sorry, stole my car. Well, really, when you look at prior court cases and precedents, um, unless it was very clearly communicated and you did everything you could to keep your keys away from your child, you can't get off on that. And then you'd also have to be pressing charges against your child. Right. And yeah, because what I've heard here in some cases is people say, well, if I tell my insurer that I have a 16-year-old with a driver's license in the house, my premiums are going to skyrocket. Well, there's a reason for that, right? There's there's a reason for that. Yeah. But most, you know what, most clients are are very, very honest. And it's very rare that we come across situations where they're around telling us these things. Yeah, I, I hope that's true. I, I think you're right. I do think most people want, like, they don't, they don't want to willfully um, hide something, but I've heard that sort of as a passing comment. And again, I'm not sure how. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, what else do you find where people are missing insurance or haven't properly uh, covered their risks? Yeah. Um, insurance as a whole, um, I'd say when you're looking at, well, first and foremost, um, on your home insurance coverage, when you're, you know, you have people who are taking in children, um, running a day home business, that's pretty popular. Find that actually quite often with, um, if you have one spouse who's a high income earner and the other one might be staying home where they say, wow, you know what, get bringing an extra bit of cash. I might as well, you know, watch a few people's kids while I'm at it. You know, why not? Um, that definitely needs to be brought with the insurance company. Um, we've had actually claims where it wasn't. And, uh, I've seen where, Unfortunately, there was uh, injury sustained to a child that ended up in a very, very large lawsuit. So, it, it, you know, no one goes into those circumstances wanting to hurt anybody. But that's the point. Our insur- our home insurance policies provide us with liability insurance. And it's something most people don't really think about. You know, we, th- we all think of the property side of my jewelry or, or my, my house burning down. But your, your actual insurance policy covers you for liability, which like an umbrella that protects you from any bodily injury or property damage that you may cause to others, typically anywhere in the world. So, you know, if, if I'm, if I bust off to the U S I go to Hawaii and I don't know, I'm, I accidentally bump into someone and uh, they fall into the road and, and, you know, get injured. Well, I may be liable for that. I made a mistake. I was negligent and that my actual home liability policy may respond to protect me. So that's why it's also so important that anything that you're doing that is business related, um, uh, particularly when you're self-employed, be, be mentioned to them so you can just make sure you have the right coverage. Yeah, that day home thing is a really great example. And I'm sure in some cases you have an auto insurance component on top of that that's quite complicated. That can get complicated, although most of them we don't find are driving the kids to and, home, to and from home. Uh, but we do insure actually a large number of day homes. We happen to do that here. Um, and that's a big one, making sure it's disclosed and that you just have the right coverage. It's amazing how many how many will uh, be unlicensed stay homes, which is actually completely fine. It's just making sure you've arranged for that coverage. Makes sense. I, I'm sure that my grandkids second to last day home that they actually drove places from time to time. And I don't know if there was ever <laughs> a discussion of insurance. So yeah, that's uh they're not at that day home anymore, but but I think there was some of that. So yeah. Well, um and and actually one more point I if you don't mind, Jason, I'll make is this is a big one. Um, so when we do, 
I know when we do our home insurance with our clients, our staff have to give out what we call a home insurance info sheets. So we kind of made a small like one pager that has a few key points for them to remember when they should call us because it's tough for people to read all 60 or 70 pages of their home policy, right? So one of the big ones that we found though is the vast majority of people are going to go on a vacation at some point. And what a lot of people don't realize is that during what we call the heating season, which you know, really is, is fall to springs. So the time when you would have the heat on, um, there's actually a very specific requirement under all home insurance policies. Now, now I want to be very clear, a little disclaimer that what I'm about to say uh, may or may not be the exact requirement of your company and what they require, but you need to check this out uh, with your insurance companies. And that is if you're gone away from the home for, for more than a certain number of days, Okay, so for us, for example, I believe it's five days or more away from the home during the heating season, then you have to do one of three things in order to make sure you're covered from what we call freezing. So if you're if the furnace cuts out and the pipes freeze and burst, you're not covered unless you've done one of these three things. And they typically are number one, you've arranged for a competent person to check your home daily. So some people say, well, yeah, I got someone to check my home every couple of days. Don't worry, I got it. So no. It's very specific. It has to be daily. And that starts the day you leave. Okay. The second one is um, you can uh, um, uh, turn off your main water supply line, drain all your pipes. Okay. So not, you know, just to drain, turn it off, but you turn it and drain the pipes. Or some companies will also allow that you, if you have a monitored alarm system that actually monitors your heat by a central station. So a monitoring station where they'll notify you if that heat drops below a certain temperature. So you got to check your own policy wordings on that one. But what well, sounds like I know your policy wordings, Jason, but everyone else needs to. Because I'll tell you, when I was a claims adjuster, um, I had one claim like that. And it was a really, really unfortunate circumstance. And it was someone who left. And it was, it was actually dropped to minus 30 when they left. And very quickly, actually, those pipes burst. And that water was flowing for over a week. Structural damage, the whole works. Right. Yeah, I'm sure tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage there, right? Well, yeah. And how many people leave? And, and like I, every, even friends of mine, I always tell them that. And it, I guess I sound like a broken record to them sometimes, but I always remind guys, make sure you're doing this every time. Yeah. It's good advice. It certainly is. Now, uh, in that area of giving advice, so you mentioned you know, warning people about getting an annual review. You talked about educating your clients properly about flood risk. You just mentioned uh, liability insurance and sort of that global aspect of liability coverage. This idea of making sure that while you're away during the heating season, I guess, whatever, August to July in Alberta, um, whatever it is, but that you have your house properly looked after. So do you find that people are happy to get that advice and they act on it? Or do you find that it's like a lot of sales things, like somebody has to hear it six times, there has to be a story. How, how do you feel people respond to that sort of advice? Yeah, so first and foremost, I, people, you know, typically when they go through the education process um, with us, and I say education, meaning when we give a proposal to someone for their insurance, we, we if they decide to go with us, we really dive deep on then going further on what do you need to remember in, you know, after this point from today. Um, and no, clients aren't usually going to remember. They're, they're, they might remember 20% of everything you told them, maybe 30%. Uh, 
Um, but that's where number one, I would say too, for our advisors that are listening on the line who have general licensed staff, um, come up with a checklist that, or sorry, a, a cheat sheet, I'd like to call it, where it has a couple key points for them to, for the clients, they can literally pop that up on their fridge. And if they, if they don't remember, they can go look at that. And it'll remind them of a few really important points. Okay. Um, and I think number one, that's important to simplify it for the customers. No different than, you know, if we're doing the financial plan, being able to, you know, give a, a follow-up document, the little one page shortened version that gives them a few points of what they need to remember for their goals. So I think that is important because clients will not remember. And yes, certainly after you've had, you know, four or five years of meetings with them where you've hammered on the same points, it'll, it'll be ingrained in them, but they certainly don't necessarily remember that off the cuff. Now, I think you might have left me hanging a little bit on this uh, sports equipment side. Was there anything else you wanted to mention on sports equipment? Yeah. Okay. So don't let me forget, Jason, because there is a good point I want to bring up on commercial insurance um, as well. And um, but but for the yeah sporting equipment. So there is under the home insurance policy, as far as I've seen, most if not all home policies have this, but they have what's called special limits of insurance. So they have certain types of, of property or contents that you own that will be limited in the event of a claim. Okay. So typically that's going to be um, items like collectibles, maybe artwork, uh, comic collections, let's say collectibles, a cash on premises, any tools or items used for business purposes. Okay. Um, or for example, e- easy one to think of is jewelry. And um, that's actually one of the things we put on our sheet and bicycles as well. Um, if you've got sporting equipment, every company's limitations are different on that. Um, so you really do got to check, but one thing you want to ask and you, or look at your policy is grab the section, usually going to be titled, titled special limits of insurance, and just take a look at what's actually limited on your policy in the event of a claim. And it'll usually limit it for, there'll be a section that'll say for all types of claims, you're only getting this much money for these items. And then there'll be another one that'll say, and for theft claims and mysterious disappearance losses, um, these ones are only limited in those cases. So kind of have two sections and we'll break it out. Um, I, I believe it's really important because people don't realize there's these limitations built in and bicycles are one of them. Yeah, that makes I cannot tell you the actual limit for bicycles. I'm going to admit, I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, but in, in terms of also the other product lines, you know, one of your questions was any other tips and points to bring up um, business insurance. This is, you know, and, and I'm sure we have some people on here who listen as well that um, if they're not just in the financial planning side, if they're general licensed and they handle, uh, you know, commercial insurance, when you start getting into uh, retail businesses or, or even professional services, but where they have to lease or rent a premises for their operations, um, it's really important to read the actual lease agreement to see what it spells out and who's responsible for what. And what do I mean by that? Well, if I go into a premises and let's just say an easy one would be a restaurant, I go into that restaurant and maybe it was a restaurant before I took it over and I'm now moving in and I start renting this facility and going to do my operations. You know, I might've only spent 20 grand doing a few little upgrades and then I put all my equipment in. Well, my base commercial policy is typically going to give me coverage uh, for my contents and my stock. And there'll be a number of other coverages I'm not going to go through now. But when we look at your property insurance, it's really important that you also include any of the interior part of the building that you might be responsible for under that lease. And the lease will usually have a section titled repair and maintenance where it'll spell out, well, if you do have a water claim, let's say a, a ruptured water line in the wall, 
Okay. Just because it's not your fault doesn't mean you don't have to pay for all the inside of the whole unit. You might've inherited the interior construction. And it's interesting because I find when we get a lot of businesses that, um, various forms that might be retail professional services where they've taken over a space and they just think they need to insure their belongings. But what happens is when you look at that lease further, you realize that, oh no, you're responsible for everything on the inside. Now it's not all the time, but you got to look, we have, I believe we have an onus to review those leases and give that proper advice to the client. Cause again, that impacts their financial plan. If now that business is underinsured and you know, there's something called, Coinsurance, which means that if you don't carry the right limit of insurance, then you're penalizing the claim. And I had a client uh, one time where it was, I, I pushed her on saying, get me the lease. They, she, would, she wouldn't get it over to us. She was adamant. She only needed her contents. Good thing we documented it up and down. I sent an email confirming what she said. But two years later, she had a claim. And it was a $300,000 claim because she, under her lease, she was responsible for the inside of the building. She only carried $100,000 of insurance. And she was severely underinsured. So um, I do use that in my stories, but it's, you know, I find that um, sometimes we can get busy trying to just do up the policies, especially if they're not very expensive policies, you're in a rush. And it's just important that we take that extra step for the client and do it right. So your team, you, you talked about your two CGL folks on your team, they would actually look at, they want to look at the client's commercial lease. Yeah. Yeah, we ask a lot of questions, but we spell that out in advance. So the client understands why we're asking those questions. <laughs> and it also, it always results in obviously a bit more premium to the client, which they're not excited about. But the question really is like, you know, if you have a loss, do you want to be covered or not? Yeah, that's uh, that's good, Chad. I, I like that. And, you know, I think that financial planners and insurance folks listening to the call, like they'll say the same thing. You want to be asking a lot of questions to make sure the coverage is proper. So uh, can you give me any examples? That's, that's a good example of a, a bad story. Can you give me any examples of stories where there's a claim that people who don't deal in property and casualty insurance might find surprising? Yes. Um, so the, the actual first claim I, I, I jumped to earlier was uh, a client who had left traveling. Um, I already mentioned that one. And when they came home, their house had to be demolished. It wasn't covered. Uh, it was really, really, it always stuck with me, actually. Um, and it's, I, I tell the story to all my clients and why it's so important that when you pop away on vacation, if you don't even remember, just know if you got to pop away on vacation, call your insurance person, right? Uh, but in addition to that, we've had... Um, a number of different claims that have come through that, you know, when you really break down the fine details, you realize how important it is to know your policy wordings and not just be a generalist. Um, and I'll give you, you know, example, the, the, the bad example I just gave you, I have one that's actually good. It was a gentleman that uh, when I first took over my business, uh, he had had about 23 daycares that he owned and he had five of them were insured with us and the rest were insured uh, elsewhere. And, you know, he went through, I did a full review of the existing policies that we had on file and I taught him and actually he, he was, you know, I will say he was underinsured. He was carrying something like $30,000 of insurance for each little daycare thinking, yeah, I just have my contents and toys. And when I actually reviewed the lease agreement on all of them, he was responsible for the interior of the space for, for almost all of those daycares. One of them was a school, so he didn't have to worry about it. And, um, you know, going through that process, he was, he was pleasantly surprised and expressed that he's never had someone really go into that much detail with him. And we actually, his un 
Unfortunately for him, his premiums actually doubled because he had to now had to insure a significant amount. But you know, we had it done properly. But I mean, small price to pay uh, given how much you know protection you need. However, uh, what I'll actually say further is that he ended up bringing all those other daycares over to us and. Those other daycares were all structured exactly the same, where they had very minimal limits of insurance. And we had to go through the leases on every one of them, got them added to the policy. And <laughs> one year later, one of those daycares ended up having a, a really large water loss. And that water loss ended up being, if I recall, is around $450,000. And it was interesting because when I when we actually went back to what the policy was prior to that and looked at what he had, he had only had $75,000 of insurance and we ended up having a full covered claim. And not only did obviously the trust level go through the roof with this gentleman, um, you know, we've had a really, really great relationship to this day. He ended up selling all those daycares, but even when he sold them, he pushed so hard for the new buyers to work with me that it allowed my retention levels. Like, I mean, you, you, you want to keep the business, right? We all want to, they're good clients. And I was able to keep that business because of that relationship and giving good advice. Yeah, that's a great example of where putting in the time, putting in the effort and being willing to pay the premium, right? Kudos to the client for not pushing back. I assume you know, some pushback probably, but not a big pushback on premium. And, you know, that's a $325,000 difference from the, the sounds of the raw numbers. So you've gone through a lot of really great stuff here, Chad, really covered a lot of stuff that I think uh, financial planners who don't live in the property and casualty world would find uh, useful and maybe some of it surprising. Is there any last minute bits of advice and from either a financial planning perspective or property and casualty or some combination of the two that you would have for folks listening? Yeah. You know, I, I would find, and I don't remember how the quote works or exactly as stated, but you know, the more I know, the more I know there's a lot of stuff that I don't know. And as I'm getting older, I'm really realizing that. And why I say that is because as I've been you know, going down this journey in financial planning, um, it's been a lot of fun because I really loved all this information and, and you know, being able to be that much better for my clients is just, it's thrilling. But I've also realized too, that when people think of art, maybe think financial planning, well, come on, how difficult can it really be? It's not that hard. Well, you know, it's no different the cold, you know, different story than me maybe saying, well, home and auto insurance is so simple, you know, just go to whatever home insurance company, how hard can it be? Well, hopefully people have learned through this conversation that, well, you know what, there are quite a bit of intricacies with all these different products. And, and not only just that, but everything we do, you know, when you look at, um, we, we need to make sure we're using uh, individuals in our network that are experienced, that are right for the client. And we need to be able to step away when we know that we are not the right person or we don't have that education for the client. That's a big part of the ethics behind having a CFP. And I think that we need to have the respect for these other uh, uh, you know, lines of both business and these special specialists that are out there, whether it's building trusts, lawyers, building wills, that not to pass it off as, as being something that really isn't important because these these areas are all very important to our clients' lives. And certainly there's probably a, a way, um, a higher chance that they won't use their insurance policies. But in the event they do, it could be absolutely catastrophic if it's not done properly. And it throws our entire financial plan and retirement plan out the window if this stuff isn't done right. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, the idea of that perpetual learning, like we know we don't know everything. We have to acknowledge that. And yeah, I find myself, I you know, I think I've spent a lot of time in the financial planning world and yet every day I get to learn something new. So yeah, 100% with you there, Chad. 
Thanks very much. You've been great. You've, uh, again, covered a lot of ground here, and I really appreciate your willingness to get into some specifics and I think give some examples that people will find uh, specifically useful. Yeah, Jason, I appreciate you having me on here. It was an honor and, um, you know, a, a plug to you and your team. I, I will say my journey to get my CFP started uh, six years ago. And, you know, I that time went through some things in our business that you're spending a lot of time at work and trying to have a family run my family or be with my family that it was hard to get this done. And, and it was interesting because I'd paid everything was paid up and done and you guys followed up and it was, you know, Penny particularly was, was on the ball with, uh, with, you know, helping push me along to, uh, to, to do this. And it's clear you guys are incredibly passionate about uh, your clients and, and also the consumers, all these people out in Canada, um, uh, all the Canadians who, who need good, solid financial advice. So thank you guys, honestly, for what you're doing. And it's been an absolute pleasure and, and an honor being on the podcast and, and taking the course. So thank you. Appreciate it, Chad. I uh, don't come looking for these plugs actively, but I do appreciate it. It's really nice. And Penny, Penny would be happy to hear that as well. So thanks so much. That's awesome. Thanks for your time, Jason. Thank you, Chad. Okay, you heard Chad cover a whole bunch of risks there associated with property and casualty insurance. There's a few things that we didn't talk about. I just want to highlight a couple of other things. Um, Chad mentioned liability insurance uh, very briefly, and I'm sure if I'd given him more time or prompted him with the question, he would have come back and told me that we should make sure that especially higher net worth clients have liability insurance to match their risks. So not a bad idea to have uh, home, auto, and maybe even an extra umbrella liability policy. It's a fairly inexpensive kind of coverage, but it's something that your high net worth clients, especially people who travel regularly, should look at with their property and casualty insurance professional. And then the one other thing that I wanted to highlight here is making sure that when a client volunteers somewhere, and this would apply to financial advisors as well, that the organization you're volunteering with has directors and officers insurance that would protect that person from the liability associated with volunteering. Uh, those policies have gotten a little bit trickier to deal with, but absolutely we want to make sure that our clients have their liability risk protected that way much better to have it on the organization's directors and officers coverage. The number for this episode is three. The number for this episode is three. To obtain your CE credits for listening to this episode, you'll need the color and number in order to get through the quiz. And also, you'll have to pay attention to the interview. There are five questions in there, and you'll want to do well on all five. Pass grade is 60%. So the place to go to do that is bccquiz.online. That's BCC is in Business Career College. So pop over to bccquiz.online. There's a short five-question quiz there. You should be able to do it on your mobile phone once you are parked. Then you can subscribe right then. It's pretty easy to do. We're always looking for more subscribers. I think this is a super efficient way to get your CE credits. And it's pretty common for me when I tell people about the podcast for CE credits. They say that's a great idea. 
but I'd still like to get those numbers up. So please pop over to bccquiz.online. 15 bucks a month will get you all the CE credits you need, including your professional responsibility credits. And we're doing two episodes a month now, or one episode every two weeks. So please pop on over to bccquiz.online and subscribe. Okay, join us again in two weeks' time when we'll start season four. And as has become something of a tradition, I guess, I'll have a a lawyer on for episode one of season four. We have uh, Trevor Perry coming on to talk about individual pension plans. And I believe that'll be the first of a few discussions we'll have with Trevor over the course of season four. Thanks very much and enjoy your continued studies. There are quite a few people who help out with getting these episodes to air. Joseph Tong takes care of our editing. Maria Nguyen takes care of all of our continuing education approvals. And Sushami Pamelopaket, Ji uh, Wu, Lisa Hoffert, and Penny Watt, my mother, make sure that we have people listening to the podcast through their marketing and sales efforts. Thank you so much.